When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coming up on today's episode, we look back at the Jets' weekend, including games in Florida and Nashville, plus a look ahead to the big matchup against Dallas. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. What's good and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewicki or the podcast at Skates Plates Pod. All right, good to be back at it here as we begin to wind down the final days of November. Hope you guys had yourselves a great weekend and a great holiday weekend as well. For any of our listeners down south, a couple games to dive into for the Jets, a big one on tap later this week, and more controversy surrounding the Central Division, including a team in absolute calamity right now, making a coaching change. So we'll get into all of that throughout the episode here today. Joining me once again to do so and break it down, CJOB's Tyson Rewicki. How we doing today, Tice? I'm doing very good, very good. Excited for this homestand, too. I'm, I'm thinking maybe pop down to Canada Life Center tomorrow. Catch oh. the game. Like That's going to be... I think that has a potential to be a, a pretty raucous crowd, as some announcers would say. So I'm excited. Yeah, raucous. I can get down with raucous. It, it's going to be bumping. It should be bumping, <laughs> at least. I'll be intrigued to see what the attendance number is going to be for that one. Um, you know, I know the Jets don't always have the biggest crowds on a Tuesday night, but that is about as juicy of a matchup as it gets right now with the central division lead, but a quarter into the season on the line in that one against Dallas. Well, and, and to, the, the one thing, the last game that these two teams played against each other was the West final in this for the Bombers too. And it was one of their best crowds of the year. So, you know, maybe you take away the bomber game now out of that. Maybe you have a, 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 another thousand, fifteen hundred. You're getting close 15, to sell range there. Another fifteen thousand. Let's just pack let, let's get twenty six thousand there. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> let's just come on, baby. Jet stars, let's go. Uh before we get to Jet Stars, we gotta we gotta talk we, we gotta talk Jets Panthers and Jets Preds first, Tice. So the Jets ultimately go. Two and one on the road trip. Couldn't find a way to cap it off with a three and zero mark against the suddenly red hot Nashville Predators, but we're able to pick up a nice win Friday night. Shut out against Paul Maurice and the Panthers. Let's start with the Preds game first. Tyson, you know, looked like things were going to be on the up and up for the for the Jets in that first period. There, really taking it to Nashville. I think it was like a fourteen three shot advantage at, at some point in the game there. And then the Preds just said enough's enough and then went to work a little bit. I, I was pretty stunned to see Nashville kind of take over that game territorially. And of course, you have to throw in a little bit of special teams work if the Winnipeg Jets are going to lose a hockey game. 
And uh, three zip was too much to overcome. And the Jets drop one. Snapping a five game win streak as well in the process. What did what did you make of the matchup against Nashville? Well, I thought they came out came out really hot. Like that game kind of had it's what the Jets do to teams on a pretty semi regular basis where they're they get out goalied in the first period and you kind of just your will just breaks. You're like, oh, we can't get one on this guy. And I think that's how that game was going in the first period. That Preds get that late one at the at the end of the first, and then there was the second goal too, which kind of is a bit of a backbreaker there. Hey, like the I don't even really know if I've liked what exactly Laurent Bossois has been doing so far this year. He doesn't quite look like the same goalie that he was in his first tenure with the Jets, and I think that hip injury at the end of the or in the first round of the playoffs last year is a little bit of a hampering one, and I. He did. He did come back pretty quick from that. All things considered, like that's a pretty quick turnaround. But yeah, like it's, it was that. And then you mentioned the special teams too on that third goal. That pass can't get through. Yeah, it just can't. It was Nyquist is just standing there on the far post with no one around him. It's those are the kind of things that you need to clean up. And I wonder, like to me, on the penalty kill too, because they've had such a strong penalty kill in the past, like Scott O'Neill has been well known for, for running a good PK unit. I wonder if this is just like a communication thing right now. And they just, there's just, they're just not clicking. Like they have been at five on five and now they're kind of starting to heat up a little bit too on the power play. Look, it looks a little more dangerous. At least the results aren't necessarily there yet, but you know, like you go, we said that if you go two and one on this road trip, all things considered, that'd be pretty good. You didn't expect that it would be, the predators that you lose to, but two and one on a road trip heading into a four game homestand isn't that bad place to be at all. No, no, no. I mean, the road trip was a success still, despite dropping that one to Nashville. There, it's yeah, like it was just such a. It was a game that the not that they gave it away, but it was such a winnable game because the mistakes were just so so basic, right? Like you said, that the second, I mean, yeah, hip injury, no a hip injury. I mean, Brusselwasser's got to stop more pucks. <laughs> it's that it's that simple. And that's that's one you can't let in. I mean, that's yeah. I mean, that's why that's why you have a save percentage below 900 right now when goals like that kind of go in on a consistent basis. So I mean, you're kind of battling uphill right there after that goal, and then that was kind of the prevailing sentiment on that eventual game winner. There is just like you can't. It's too easy to pass across there. Like it's that's that's the cardinal sin when it comes to killing penalties, and we've just seen far too often the Winnipeg Jets. Giving up seams, not defending guys cross ice, and the second that starts to break down, it's over. And I mean, Nashville's not the most talented team in the world, but they got a bunch of guys that can, you know, put the puck in the net and whip it around there. And it, it's just something we've seen far too often from the Jets there. You're, but I mean, that's that's the confusing part is the PK was so good last year. It's like that that was not expected to be an issue going into the year here. And now they're sitting 28th, not not that far away from the bottom, uh, held by a team which we'll talk about in just a sec there. But, I mean, again, that's kind of an example where, I mean, you don't give up that power play goal. Jets tie it up. And even if you get just one point on the evening, you know, it's enough to push you into first. And if the Jets have an average penalty kill this year, they're well ahead in first in that central division right now. It's, it's the big Achilles heel. Looked like it was turning a corner. Maybe not so much. Um, I mean, the Tampa Bay game, that was a bit of a beauty. Tough to default the Jets too much in that one. You're perfect in Florida. And then another backbreaker against Nashville. Uh, that I mean, 
other than that, this team is playing as good as we can hope for right now. I mean, like it's again, average penalty kill and not too many teams playing better hockey right now than Winnipeg. So um, I, I, yeah, it's just more of a frustrating result because it's a game that it's a, it's a game that they can pretty easily take advantage of despite it being the finale of a road trip, all the travel that went on before that and everything. Right. And UC Saros being one of the top five goalies in the league too, doesn't help too much either. Right. Like that's whenever you go into Nashville and you have to face UC Saros, it's just, you know, that you're going in thinking, Hey, we, we might need to win this game three, two at the, at the most, at the most. And it's weird too. Cause on the Jets penalty kill, you still have Connor Hellebuck. I mean, obviously not in this past game, but like overall, he's still he's still one of the top goaltenders, and he's proven that still at even strength. It's just that, and I'm not saying that the goals are his fault on the power play either. Far, it's far from it. But it's just it seems like, like you mentioned, they kind of start to get a little momentum on the penalty kill, and then there's a game where it's just backbreaking goal against you, and I think that's just kind of what's what's hurting this penalty kill right now is that they just can't get anything going on on a consistent basis and you know hold, you think that'll turn around at some point because Scott O'Neill has been really good with the penalty kill so it's it's concerning right now but I it's a very fixable problem and if that's the only problem this team has and lately that's what it's been looking like then I think that they have a pretty good shot at fixing that pretty soon let's hope so because uh yeah that'll that that, that sinks ships loose lips sink ships no bad penalty kills will sink ships come playoff time <laughs> Um, one other thing that I wanted to mention, just because I, I know we're getting closer, and then maybe it happens Tuesday against the, the Dallas Stars, but we've, and everybody spent some time talking about Gabe Velarde's upcoming return. Where does he slot into the lineup? Let's say he's ready to go. No, you know, not, not, nothing holding him back. He's good to play 16, 17, 18, 19 minutes a night. Do you think the top line, do you, do you think Alex Iafalo? is an absolute lock to still be on that top line? Or do you think there's a chance that Velarde can go back to where he was game one, opening night of the regular season? Because like, everybody is kind of assuming that, you know, Velarde goes on to line two, Nemestikov comes down to line four, and everything stays relatively the same there. But I, I wonder a little bit if I follow, who's, who's been a little bit quiet, the top line hasn't been as dominant over this last stretch of games. I wonder if Velarde gets a shot bat right back up there. Then you have to figure out what to do with Ayafalo at that point. Yeah, in my opinion, if I was making the decisions, I would probably put Velarde back on that top line. It's nothing against Ayafalo either. I think he's been playing fairly decently on that top line, but it's just fairly decently, right? Like, it's nothing special. And I think Velarde can add that extra playmaking, goal-scoring ability to that top line that makes him really, really dangerous. Instead of Ayafalo, you know, he's more of a guy who's going to get the dirty. He's going to go to the dirty areas and get some dirty goals. But Velarde can really bring that extra element of playmaking that makes it really hard to defend against them. And then that just gives you an opportunity to put Niederreiter, Lowry, and Ayafalo as a supercharged third line and have Appleton kind of run that fourth line where he's been really good this year. And maybe he's he's able to win a lot more matchups as the fourth line winner down there. I didn't, I, you can't break up. Perfetti and Ehlers and Nemesnikov right now, I don't think. I what think now it's become too long of a stretch where it's just, and it's crazy. Like, yeah, like these guys have just been playing so good together. And even like the stretch that Cole Perfetti's on too, you just keep thinking like, oh, it's 
he's been on a, on a nice stretch. He's due for a kind of off game, but he just keeps producing. It's it's weird, and, and that's kind of been the story of that line all year. It's like you're kind of expecting there to be a little bit of a, a regression at some point, but it's just not coming. <laughs> they're just staying steady this whole time, and they're now they're starting to produce in large quantities too. So you're showing on the eye test analytically and production-wise that that line's really become a strong second line. Yeah, I mean, you say it's kind of weird about Perfetti just game in, game out, point, 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 all that stuff. Oh, sorry. But, no, no, but, I mean, I, I don't know if it is all that weird Perfetti keeps racking up the points here because he's, he's he keeps finding himself in prime scoring areas every single time he's out there, right? Like, it, it's, it may not be as eye-popping as, you know, when, um, when a Mitch Marner is going for Toronto or, you know, when... Uh, Big David is flying all over the place in Edmonton there. Like it's, it's a little more subtle, you know, a little more cerebral to the game there, but I mean, he's just always in the right spot and he's getting the puck in and around the net. I mean, I, I, I really look, is he going to be a point of game player the rest of the way? Quite possibly not, but he's on pace for essentially 70 points right now. I I think we're going to see, I think we're going to see him pretty much keep going that way the rest of the way through Tice. Like I, I, I just I, I think Perfetti's here to stay, and it's been buoyed by the fact that you know Ehlers took about two weeks to get going this regular season, and now that he's got that under his belt, we're seeing the guy that we've been accustomed to seeing for quite some time now. So it it is funny that you know a couple of weeks ago it was can't touch Shifley's line, can't touch Lowry's line. They've cooled off a little bit. It makes a change a little more palatable as opposed to that second line, which everybody was saying, we got to break it up. We got to figure out what's going on there because neither of those three are doing much of anything right now. Yeah. And one more, one more thing I wanted to add on Perfetti is that later on in the season too, it feels like he's taking a lot less hits. He's not really getting put in some of those dangerous positions. It's he's, it's more preserved. He's playing a more preserved game. And I think that's going to help. I mean, obviously help tremendously if he wants to play a full season, but, the way this Jets forward core has been looking this year too, it, it kind of it's kind of exciting thinking of the the possible line combinations that you can do. But I think overall to start to get things going, I would definitely put Velarde up there because that line looks so good against Calgary. Like they look, they really did look like the potential top five line in the NHL. So I think that if you have something there, you got to see what, if you have it there first. Yeah, I, I might agree with you now. I, I, I think, and then even, you know, talking about breaking up the Lowry line a little bit, you know, putting Aya Fallow there over Appleton, I don't think it's going to change a whole lot. Like the, their games are pretty similar. Um, Aya Fallow has just a, a longer track record of producing at a better clip than, than Mason Appleton does. So I, I think that's the, I, I wonder if that would have been the move all along, but I think with how these last handful of games have gone, I I'll be pretty surprised not to see Velarde up there on that top line, and then you keep rolling it and see see how things shake out after that. Um, but I, it's easy to forget because we only saw it for for so few time or for such few time. But yeah, I, th- I think when you talk about the potential of, of of how this team can look, that's probably the most potent and dangerous the Jets could possibly look is if Velarde is going to be up there on that top line, they can play with any of the best in the NHL. Then you've got that second and, and tertiary punch of uh, apparently domestic healers, Perfetti, and then the Lowry line, whether it's with Ayafalo or Appleton 
out there on the right side there. So we'll see what it looks like against Dallas. I mean, first and foremost, let's hope Velarde is back in for that game against the Dallas Stars. If not, he should be ready to go Thursday night against the, well, not so sucky Edmonton Oilers right now. Let's 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 call it that. Um, so let's move on from the game against Nashville. I mean, I, I don't know. Do you want to talk about the Panthers game quickly? I mean, the main thing for me in that one is, oh, my Lord, Nikolai Ehlers with that move. But more importantly, <laughs> guess who's back? Oh, hell, he's back. <laughs> well, there was, to me, the, the thing that I thought was crazy was Brendan Dillon putting Sam Reinhardt into an absolute blender in that fight. My gosh. Even even Gustav Forsley was like, oh, man, I got to try. He's like, I don't want to get this third man penalty, but I got to do something. He's just killing them. Yeah. But, I mean, kudos to Reinhardt for even getting in there with Dylan. But, yeah, like that was that was one of the roughest beatdowns I've seen in a while in the fight. But you kind of can just tell, like, especially with Bones coming back, in that game and then having the Paul Maurice factor in it too. Like that's just kind of a recipe for a guaranteed win for the Jets. And I kind of, I wanted to, if I had, if I was a Vegas gambler, I might've thrown an irresponsible amount of money on them, but still like that's getting a win against Florida is always nice. And they're, they're kind of humming a little bit too. Now they're, they're picking up their pace a little bit, played a little bit more like that team in the playoffs and especially getting Ekblad and Montour back. That's obviously huge for that team. And, they're a lot different team now. They're much better than they were to start the season, and Jets were still able to handle them pretty, pretty easily. Yeah, I think I think Sam Reinhardt needs to learn what a business decision is, and um, dropping the gloves with Brendan Dillon—that's where <laughs> that's where you need some of that self-preservation. You you need to play that one like Deion Sanders when the running back pops one out onto the outside. There, just away you go, <laughs> whatever you want, sir. It's all yours. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, a pretty impressive showing by the Jets in that one. Florida's played well this year and has played well for quite some time. And the Jets looked very, very solid against a pretty good Panthers team there. Now that big matchup against Dallas coming up on Tuesday, like we touched on. I mean, the main thing for me is just this again, special teams, special teams killed them in that initial matchup against Dallas. We'll see if they can hold the fort this time around against the stars. And that'll be the Tuesday matchup before Edmonton comes to town on Thursday night, but let's shift gears a little bit, Tyson, because the big news out of the Central Division happened a couple hours before we started recording here, but I mean, Edmonton's taking all the headlines for the wrong reasons, pretty much overshadowing a disastrous start from the Minnesota Wild this year, maybe even worse than Edmonton so far. You can have a debate about which team's been um, the lesser of the two so far. But Dean Evason, out as head coach in Minnesota, that's not that shocking to me. But bringing in John Hines, do you want to make a playoff run this year? I I, I, I just don't get, <laughs> no, no offense to the guy. I just don't get how... He's a hot commodity and somebody that Billy Guerin feels like can help turn this team around because he's he's been pretty awful at his previous his only two head coaching stops in the NHL. I I, I it's it's a dumpster fire. They they it is officially dumpster fire season in Minnesota, and I do not know how the Wild 
move on from here. I like I they're they, I mean they've already 14 mil in dead cap space to start this season, and now you've got a bunch of old guys on long term contracts. They're almost where they were right when they did the Parise and Suter buyouts, except they've got a bunch of dead cap on the Bucks <laughs> instead. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it is just. For, for a team that a lot of people thought would be pretty competitive so far this year, it has been the biggest nightmare scenario so far for Minnesota. And even if you want to blow it up, if you're the Wild, you've already signed two of your biggest trade chips, or exactly trade chips in Felino and Zuccarello this year. So now you're just in like no man's land where it's like we have no assets to sell off. We have no, we don't really have that good of a prospect pool behind us. We don't have enough picks. Like our goalies suck. Spurgeon's probably our Spurgeon and Brodina are our two best defensemen. And Spurgeon's I don't know what happened to Spurgeon. I mean, that injury probably seems like it's hampered him a ton, which is a shame because he's actually one of my favorite defensemen to watch or was one of my favorite defensemen to watch. He was so responsible, such a heady two-way player. But yeah, like that team is brutal. And that's kind of what I mean. You've gotten by the past couple of years with having Joel Erickson as your top line center. And I think now it's just finally catching up to them that you need. He's a solid top six player, but he's not a t- solid top line player. And it's just, I, I feel like there's too many guys in Minnesota that are playing like a, a role above the, what they should be. And it's now that everyone's just in over their heads. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, I think the, I think for the entirety of their existence, the Minnesota Wild have been searching for the number one center. They, they might have had it that the one year Eric Stahl scored 43. That, like, that might have been it. But other than that, it's, it's just been something they've been going on and on and on, and they haven't found that guy just yet. I mean, yeah, Eric Sinek is a good player. Is he a number one in the cup contending team? Unfortunately, no, he's not. But I mean, like, the funny thing, too, you mentioned their goaltending sucks. Their goaltending does suck right now. Um, and it's not too much of a stretch to say, you know, bad goaltending caused jobs, but the Minnesota Wild, dead last in save percentage. Evison, Axe, next best team, Edmonton, save percentage, Woodcroft, see you later. That there is nothing in hockey more that will absolutely ruin everything than than poor goaltending. And this isn't even poor, it's it's just beyond dreadful. On top of that, their pen their penalty kill might be worse than their goaltending Tice. Um, dead last in the NHL, I think at like 60-something percent. I mean, they make the Winnipeg Jets look like the freaking Boston Bruins out there. Um, and the assistant coach, I believe Bob Woods is his name, also sent packing. He was the guy running the PK. Kind of kind of tough to, to argue against that. But, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy that it's literally everything in Minnesota. Goaltending, awful. Some of the defense that you mentioned, banged up and awful. Kaprizov, nowhere near the guy that we're expecting him or we've expected him to be. Boldy, a shell of himself right now. Like it's just everybody is playing at the absolute lowest of their capabilities all at the same time, and that's how you get five wins through twenty games. I mean, the West is awful this year, but I don't know. I it, it feels like this is Murphy a Murphy's Law type of season for the Wild here. And I mean, realistically, the best thing for them would be to finish in the bottom five, the bottom three. And I, you know, I mean, obviously winning the draft lottery would be massive for them. Um, assuming Celebrini is a number one, you know, can can play center instead of the wing at the NHL level. But I, I really just don't get what the direction is right now, because like you said there, 
they kind of made the move to keep this group together and that's gotten you dead last essentially in the Western Conference just a couple of points ahead of the Sharks it's the Minnesota's just been and like they need high-end prospects at center and defense like Marco Rossi was supposed to be the guy that kind of brought that added skill punch and it's I mean he had a really unfortunate development path with all the stuff going on with him prior to joining the AHL but he was the guy that they were really relying on and it just hasn't really panned out and then you look past him there's not a lot of I mean Brock Faber is a fine second pairing defenseman he's nothing special either like there was a little bit of hype coming in out of his college season last year and into the playoffs but yeah I don't really know it's everything. Like it's not even like the goaltending, like with Edmonton, where it's like, wow, their their defense and goaltending or goaltending are just really bad. It's everything. And there's some games where they don't even they don't even look like they're trying at all. Like there's been some really rough games from Caprizov and Zuccarello, especially. Yeah. It's uh it's gonna be interesting to see how the rest of the season plays out for the wild there. I mean, and it's it's wild too, Tyson, that even <laughs> Like, I mean, the Oilers are, what are they? They're, they're a point ahead of the wild right now. Um, but they're only, they're six points. This is so bad. They're six points behind Seattle for the final wild card spot with two games in hand. Like it might, I, I was seeing oh. like the lowest, the lowest point totals to, to clinch a playoff spot in the last 20 or 30 years. And this is going to be on pace for that here where 90 is going to get you in, no doubt about it. Which is insane that we're even discussing that, but there's a ch- there's a chance 87, 88 points is enough to grab that final wild card spot out there in the West, and um, pretty wild too that Edmonton had the start that they had. I mean, would you, what, what would you do? Would you take Edmonton six points back of Seattle with two games in hand, or would you lean towards the crack and getting that spot right now? I, I still have to go with Edmonton. Like, it's just, you, you have to think that at some point they start ripping off a couple of games, right? Like, it's just, they kind of are a little bit right now. Like, that game against the Ducks could be a really big boost for them. You score eight goals and against any team, and you kind of start to feel yourself a little bit. So, uh, I'm going to tentatively go with the Oilers. Also, with the idea that if they do win one or two more over this next couple stretch, Ken Holland's immediately going to go, we're back, baby. <laughs> We're back. What goalie can I overpay for now? What, who wants who wants my first and our top three prospects for their starting goalie? The Oilers are back. The Oilers are back. Oh, oh, they play Vegas, Winnipeg, Carolina in their next three. Um, <laughs> and I, I would say, hey, look, if you, you want a goalie right now, get in line because there's about eight eight good teams. There's eight good teams that almost desperately need starting goaltending right now. Never mind the other 10 or so that stink this year and can't get a save either. So, yeah, if you got yourself a Tendy and you got him on the block, yeah, you might be able to get a bit of a King's Ransom for that guy. Um, so it'll be intriguing to see what the Edmonton Oilers look like coming into Winnipeg on that Thursday nighter. But, I mean, you're right. Like if, if they pick up a win in or not in at Edmonton, if they pick up a win over Vegas at home, maybe it is officially corner turn for the oil here but yeah i mean pretty well i mean a- any decent team basically has a wild card spot locked up right now you know what i mean like if anybody was playing half decent hockey out there in the pacific it is curtains for the edmonton oilers but they've got more than a chance 
um, even though they're 7-12-1 right now. Um, but that'll do it for us here. We'll wrap it up. I mean, it's going to be a, a great next episode, Tice, to, to see how the Jets fare and do against the Stars on Tuesday and then the Edmonton Oilers on uh, Thursday night. So we'll have a jam-packed show for you guys to close out the week and kick off the month of December for you. But that'll do it to wrap up this one here as we head into Tuesday and the rest of the day there. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. CJOB's Tyson Rewicki here with us once again. Like I said, back at it Friday morning, talking stars and Oilers matchups here in Winnipeg as the Jets kick off a homestand looking to vault themselves up to the top of the Central Division. Until then... Enjoy the rest of your work week, everybody. Stay safe and have a great time. We'll talk to you Friday. Peace.